Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons Podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message, you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. Good morning. Welcome to Restore Online. And again, if you're new, it's great to have you. If you've been around for a while, if you're not on our church app, as Brad said, you can download it through our website and you can see all the notes and everything that we have there ready to go for this morning. Anyway, it's great to see you. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. And as Brad said, you know, we're still with all those people for whom this is a complicated day, a tough day. Um, those dad, people who don't have great relationships with their dads, those people who can't be dads, you know, we, we, we celebrate with those who celebrate and we mourn with those who mourn. So happy Father's Day. Well, I'm not doing a Father's Day message today. Um, not in the strict sense. I'm doing one in that um, I'm doing a Father's Day message for me because I'm a father. So this morning I'm going to be talking about my fear, my choice. And as I say, I'm going to be kind of preaching to myself this morning because it's a, it's a message that I need to hear. And um, you can listen in to me preaching to myself or maybe you actually need to be talking to yourself about this as well this morning. A bit like David did when he said, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Um, Put your faith, why, why are you so uneasy? Put your hope in God, for I will yet trust him. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great uh, British preacher, once said, you know, our biggest problem is that we spend way too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. And so this morning, I'm talking to myself, and if you need it as well, you can talk to yourselves. So, be talking about my fear, my choice. Why are we talking about that? Well, because there are so many opportunities these days for us to fear for us to feel anxious, for us to feel uneasy. Um, The news is certainly helping us along in that respect as well. I did this thing the other day where I've been following the news on my newsfeed, and I I try to limit the amount of news that I take in, and I noticed that, that I had read the same article three different times, three days in a row, but each time it had a different, we're all going to die type headline. So the news doesn't really help us with that sort of stuff. But so we, we don't even need the news because life itself can make us anxious and uneasy and afraid with all the stuff that it dishes up on a regular basis. And when I say my fear, my choice, I'm, I'm not suggesting for one second that any of us consciously choose to be afraid. There are plenty of times where fear is the most normal, natural, healthy response to something. But I guess what I'm saying this morning is that whether we stay there or not, well, that choice, that that is kind of up to us. So in the chat this morning, if this is for you, I want you to put it's my fear and it's my choice. My fear and my choice. So how's that work? Well, we're going to be looking at a story in the Old Testament that I hope we'll be able to draw some really good stuff out of to help us to see how we can overcome this sort of thing. It's a long story. It's pre-populated in your app. I'm not going to read it out, but I'm going to paraphrase stuff as we go so you know where we're up to. So if we're going to speak to ourselves, then the first thing we need to remind ourselves of is that what we see is not all there is to see. What we see is not all there is to see. So in this story that we're reading from 2 Kings, the king of Aram is a guy called Ben-Hadad, son of Hadad. And Hadad was was the local demonic principality of Aram. And he is trying to conquer Israel, to overrun them. And he's being strategic and he's, 
He's got his armies and, and his chariots and he's got you know, all the great weapons of warfare of the day and he's moving them this way and that. He's being really strategic. And it looks like he's got the upper hand. He's got the men and he's got the moves, but every time he thinks he's being really clever and he's going to trap the king of Israel and Israel's army somewhere, the king of Israel seems to not turn up there and go around a different way and so keeps avoiding him the whole time. And Ben-Hadad is convinced that he's got a mole, that, that someone's giving Israel spoilers. And so he calls in all his commanders and all his officers and he says, who's doing this, right? Who's, who's telling Israel what we're doing? I mean... How stupid would you have to be to put your hand up and go, yeah, it, it's me, should I not be, be doing that? Right? Who's going to fess up to that, right? But, but they don't. They say, no, no, the king, look, that's not what's happening. None of us are, are like giving them spoilers. That's not what's going on. What's happening is there's this guy in Israel, a prophet called Elisha, and he's telling the king of Israel absolutely everything you're doing, right down to the wor- very words that are spoken in your bedroom, which is kind of creepy, right? So there's no mole. This is what's going on. So Ben-Hadad is making a lot of noise and he's making a lot of moves because he thinks he's got the upper hand, but God is all over it. Now, sometimes it's hard to remember that what we see is not all there is to see. What's going on is not all that's going on. What's happening right in front of us or around us, that is not the only thing that's happening. The thing that seems so real to us, that's not all there is to reality. There is a reality behind the reality that we see. And it's hard to believe at times because because the reality we inhabit seems so real to us. It's the stuff that's in our face. It's the stuff we can touch and taste and feel and smell. And it's the the thing we're being told and the thing we're dealing with on a daily basis. It seems so real. It's hard to to believe that it's not the sum total of reality, that, that that's not all there is. But there is something else going on. In Psalm 2... It says this, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us break off their chains and throw off their shackles. And then it says this, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He says, I have installed my chosen one on Zion, my holy mountain. See, Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. It's about the coming of Israel's Messiah and God putting the world to rights. God reordering the world the way he wants it to be, on earth as it is in heaven type of thing. And the rulers of the world, the powers of the world, they're all, they're all scoffing. They're all, they're all, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to resist and reject your rule and we're going to do things and we're going to do it our way. And God just laughs and he says, you do what you're going to do, but... I'm still going to do my thing. I'm going to do the thing I've always planned that I was going to do because you might not see it, but I'm actually in this. And the book of Revelation is a fascinating way of seeing this reality as well. So John the Elder, it's not John the Apostle, John the Elder, the guy who, who has this revelation that God says to him, write it down, write it down. You know, He's writing this stuff down and it's, it's a bit like a movie because it, it, it flips between earth and heaven and heaven and earth and earth and heaven and heaven and earth. And, and it shows that how there are these two, not connected, but these two overlapping realities that are going on, right? And, and one of them, you get these scenes, in, in some places you get these scenes on earth, and there's all this chaos going on on earth, and there's, there's beasts, and there's dragons, and there's antichrists, and false prophets, and wars, and famines, and all of this. And it's, it's chaos, it's, it's, it's mental what's going on. And then the scene flips, you know, inexplicably, one minute we're talking about all this horror that's going on on earth and the scene flips to this 
this rather peaceful scene in heaven where there's angels worshipping and golden bowls of incense and, and, and the elders bowing down, worshipping God. And you think, what's, what's going on here? And it's just this really wonderful way of John showing that, that, that these two realities, they're, they're concurrent, they're, they're overlapping, they're going on at one and the same time. Yeah, chaos is going on on earth, but in heaven, God sits enthroned. God is sovereign. God is in control. And what's happening down here has not escaped his notice. It has not escaped his attention he's still in this he's still all over it in fact in the middle of all this chaos he is working out his plan so ben hadad and all the arameans they're wreaking havoc on earth wreaking havoc on earth but elisha elisha's got his ears and his eyes turned toward heaven to what god is doing he's the one that's saying i'm i'm watching what god is doing you know this is the same principle that jesus operated on he would stop and suddenly do things or, or, or go off and do something else. And people couldn't work out what he was doing, given that it, they, they thought he had this agenda that, that he'd explained. And he would often say, I, I do what I see the Father doing. I'm simply responding to what I see God doing. So, that, so there is all this stuff going on, but then God is in it. God is doing his own thing in the middle of all of that. Now, this isn't, this isn't advocating some sort of denialism, right? Our, our reality is real. It's very real. It's just, it's just not the only reality. It's not the greatest reality. And I realise it doesn't feel like that at the moment. You know, this, this pandemic that we're in, this virus, this surge that we're experiencing here in New South Wales, it feels like it's got the upper hand. It feels like it's in control. It's the thing that seems to be dictating our lives at the moment. Where we can go, where we can't go, with whom, with, you know, like all of this. I mean, I'm, I come from an area, we're allowed out, up until recently, we've only been allowed out one hour a day and we're still in curfew from nine till five, you know? Our, restrict, our freedoms are heavily, heavily restricted at the moment. We can't see our families. It's affecting our work. It's affecting our recreation. I'm standing in front of a set this morning because I cannot be with you in person this morning as a church. I mean, it's great that we can do this, but this virus is stopping us do this. So it looks and feels pretty overwhelmingly real, and it is. And it looks and feels like it's in control, but it's not. God is still enthroned in heaven. You know, if we could do a bit of a revelation thing now, you know, we could switch between what's going on on earth and what's going on in heaven. I wish we could see what's going on in heaven right now because it would remind us that what's going on on earth has not escaped God's notice, attention, or care and control. He is still over this. He is still in this. Well, if he's in control, why doesn't he stop it? Well, that's the the million-dollar question that's been asked for, for a couple of millennia. And you know what? It's beyond the, my remit and scope of this message today. We can talk about that another time. But that would solve the problem, wouldn't it? Why didn't God just you know, snap his fingers and do his thing and just stop it? If you, if you look at this story, the simplest thing would have been for God to stop the king of Aram, to stop Ben-Hadad and to wipe out the army, just, just deal with them. Like, don't let him invade Israel in the first place. But he doesn't actually do that. No, instead... He directs Elisha in it to get Israel to do what they need to do. And it's very much the same today. God doesn't do that and take our problems away. We know that from experience, right? We, we know that, that that doesn't happen. But he is in it. And, and if we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, we can, we can see what he's calling us to do in it. Because even in, in the middle of all of that, he is still working out his plans. Just because God doesn't stop it doesn't mean he isn't in it. It's not easy. But we have to try and remind ourselves that, that everything we see, all we see, is not 
all there is to see. And yes, what's happening is happening, but something else is happening beyond that. God is doing his thing. And as hard as it is at times in the middle of all this, we have to try and see that so we can do what we need to do. How? Well, that brings me to my next couple of points. We might need to remind ourselves that what we don't do is just as important as what we do do. Right? So what we don't do is just as important as what we do do. The king of Aram gets really annoyed and uh, when he finds out that Elisha is, is telling the king of Israel everything that he's up to. And so he wants Elisha captured and he sends a large force. He sends these foot soldiers, he sends chariots. To be honest, it's a bit of overkill, but he does it, right? And one day Elisha's servant, he comes out of wherever they're staying, a tent or a hut or whatever it happens to be. He comes out of his tent and he, you know, he looks up and he sees the hills and there's a vast army surrounding them. And in what has to be one of the most under, underplayed responses ever, he says, oh no, um, we're surrounded by an army. I'm not sure how I would have reacted to that, but I don't think oh no would have been the first words out of my mouth. Anyway, he says, oh no, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, <laughs> really helpfully, don't be afraid. That's so helpful, isn't it? That is such helpful advice. There's an army bearing down on them. What do we do? What do we do? And Elisha says, don't be afraid. I'm not going to tell you what, we, what to do. I'm, I'm actually going to start by telling you what not to do. Now, Elisha would have made a terrible counsellor or psychologist. Now, you, you front up to his office and, and you sit down and lay on the couch, whatever you do, and it's like, well, tell me about it. Well, I'm really anxious. I'm, I'm sad. I'm, I'm terrified. You know, my marriage is falling apart. I've got no work. I'm financial struggles. My health is a mess. I'm afraid. I'm uneasy. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm depressed. What do I do? Don't be. Don't be. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't be distressed. That'll be $190, thanks. I don't know about you, but do you know people like that? You know, there's people that seem to have sympathy deficiency. If you do, in the chat, just put, yep, don't point to anyone, don't name them. Just go, yep. But actually, for as unsympathetic as it sounds, there's real wisdom in what Elisha says. Because sometimes what we don't do is just as important as what we do do. When facing scary, uncertain or difficult situations, don't be afraid. It's actually a really good place to start. Because, look, fear has its benefits, right? Fear is a thing that stops us climbing into the lion enclosure at the zoo to pat the big kitties. Fear is the thing that makes us run from a burning building rather than look for some marshmallows to stay and have a roast out. Fear, um, healthy fear, actually keeps us alive. But fear is not the best way to live. Fear is not where our best thinking comes from. The, the part of our brain um, that triggers fear, that fight, you know, where fear comes from, that it fires off our fight, flight or freeze response. I mean... That's the only part of our brain that's, that's activated at this point. And that's its entire repertoire, right? It doesn't have any other tricks up its sleeve. It doesn't have any other numbers in its repertoire. That's it. It can do three things. Fight, flight, or freeze. The higher level, complex, strategic, nuanced thinking is not what that part of our brain does. And it's not going to help us to have the capacity 
to be able to think or see things in another way, which in this story actually is a very, very important piece, which we'll see at the end. Now, it's okay to be afraid. It's normal and natural, but that doesn't mean that we have to live in fear. As I say, that actually is down to us. That, that can be our choice. The other night, we were um, sitting there watching TV because what else do you do when you're locked in your house? And it was about 9.30 at night and, and one of my daughters came out and she said, oh, can, can I talk to you guys about something later? Another time, another time I'll talk to you about something later. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. But we could tell she was not. We thought, you know, did we want to get into it? It's 9.30 at night. No, no, no. But we did. Because um, she seemed really, really anxious. A- anyway, long story short, she had somehow worked herself up to the point that she was convinced that, that when she eventually goes back to work, she's going to lose her job. And she convinced herself of this because she'd had this conversation with her boss, and this conversation had been about many, many things. Many things. But the boss had said one thing in there, a fairly innocuous thing, no, nothing serious, but I could understand why she took it the way she did. And, and she had latched on to that one, one segment of that entire conversation and had played it over and over and over in her mind to the point that she had convinced that, that that's with it. Now, now, what we were able to do at that moment was to be able to say, okay, look, um, you're really anxious, you're really freaking yourself out about this. You know, we, we became a bit like a liar, and we were like, don't. Don't be anxious about this. Don't be afraid. You're not thinking about this clearly. Let's go over this, right? She said this, but she also said... A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Right? She said all of these other things. All of these other things are really positive. Let's have a look at something else. She's just arranged for you to go and do some training that you're going to need to do your job. If someone was thinking this, that they weren't going to keep you around, would they be putting you through training now? No. The other thing is, remember what just happened last week? There was trouble making sure that you could get your qualifications, which you need, and it looked like that wasn't going to happen because of X, Y, and Z, and we prayed about that, and you know, what? Not only did you get that qualification, you're also getting this other endorsement that you you don't necessarily need, but it's a wonderful thing to have. Do you think all of this is happening now because you're going to get fired? Now, I don't know where she gets that thinking from, right? That, That in the midst of a big conversation in which there's a whole range of things that are being spoken about, and most of which are positive, you latch on to the most negative thing. I have no idea where she gets that from. Father's Day reminds me it's probably me. When my doctor first said to me, you've got cancer and, and uh, I need you to go and have a scan because really I think that the cancer has spread throughout your body. You know what I did for two weeks in between waiting to go for that scan and getting the results? I googled things I should never have googled and I literally read a book to help me prepare to die. Talk about fixating on all the wrong things. Sometimes our minds can be our own worst enemies. They will confirm and go over and mull over and ruminate on all the things that are the most negative, hopeless, depressing, anxiety-producing things that we can do. And for every difficult thing we face, there is no shortage of things we can go to to confirm our fears and our worst-case scenario thinking, isn't there? There are articles, there are websites, there are people we know we can talk to that are going to tell us all the things we shouldn't be listening to. But it is our choice as to whether or not we actually look them up or we listen to them. When we face scary and anxiety-producing situations, 
Who prays for peace? I mean, I know, I know I do. I know I bring out the big guns. I do the, Father, I pray for that peace that transcends all understanding, right? Have you done that? You, you prayed that for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. But here's what I want us to understand about that. Peace, right? That peace, it's only the product of practice. Let me explain where we get that peace that transcends all understanding from. That's from Philippians 4, 6, 7, 8, right? And in it, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, right? Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul seems a bit about as helpful as Elisha does. You know, when we're facing anxiety, what's his solution to that? Oh, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious, right? But he doesn't actually stop there. He says, you've got to be proactive in this. It's not just about what you don't do, it's about what you do do. But what you don't do is actually a really good place to start because if you stay in the anxiety, if you stay in the fear, if you stay in the depression, you're not going to do anything else. You're just going to keep going around this loop that keeps, to, you know, keeps you in that place. So don't, what we don't do in a, in a certain situation, that's really, really important. So we can then at least go on and do what we do need to do. And he says, don't be anxious, but, but give everything over to God. Like literally, just give everything over to God. Peter, Peter kind of echoes this when he says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. The word that Peter uses for cast actually is, is more like peg. You know, you, when you pick up a ball and you, know, you peg it at someone, like at a cat um, or a rock at a cat. I, I don't. Um, but, but it's that. It's that like pick up your cares and like peg, peg them on God because he, he actually cares for you. And then, right, then you get the peace. Peace is not just an answer to prayer. Peace is the result of when we practice giving our stuff over to God instead of hanging it on to ourselves and letting our minds run wild, right? Don't hang on to it. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't hang on to it. Do give it to God. And finally, later in Philippians 4.8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. It's interesting that he says whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, it's almost like he's talking about something else in addition to that, but it's not. It's entirely connected. Philippians is written from prison. But these guys have seen Paul go through some incredibly hard stuff. And so when he says to them, look, keep your mind fixed on the positive stuff. Keep thinking about the excellent, the praiseworthy, the true, the noble, all of that stuff. Keep thinking about that. You've seen me do that. I want you to do it too. Why? Because the peace of God will then be with you. See, we can't pray away our fear and anxiety. While at the same time, fixing our minds and doing things that are doing nothing but feeding that fear and anxiety. Right? We cannot pray away the fear and anxiety our unhelpful choices are actually making. So that's why what we don't do is just as important as what we do do. It's not always easy to know what to do in some situations, but there are some things that we should know and no-brainers to not do. Don't be afraid. Feel that fear in that first second. That's a normal, in inherent, instinctive response. But that second second, where that goes from there, that's up to us. Choose not to stay afraid. Don't focus on the object of your fear. Don't keep listening to yourself. 
Speak to yourself rather than just listen to yourself. Don't Google that thing. Don't keep watching every bit of news you can. Don't listen to those people. Don't keep imagining the worst case scenario. Don't hang on to it and go over and over in your head. You can't control the circumstances, but you can control the choices you make. We can control our minds. We don't get the peace without the practice. And when it comes to being free from fear, what we don't do is just as important as what we do do. And finally, let me wrap it up with this. We need to remind ourselves that what we expect to see is what we're going to see. What we expect to see, that's the thing that we're going to see. Gehazi walks out and he sees this big army coming to get him. You know, and, and he's afraid. It's reasonable that he would be afraid. And Elisha says to him, look, don't be afraid. And here's why I don't want you to be afraid. Because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. To which Gehazi goes, of course. I mean, it's obvious. Yeah, right, totally. And then Elisha says to him, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And, and God does. And Gehazi sees the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. Now, wouldn't it be great these days if there was just some man of God that we could go to, or even me, and, and we could just pray who could just pray over you, Lord, open their eyes so they could see. And voila, he does it. And now we can see what we couldn't see before. We can see all of this other reality. We can see this reality that overlaps with our reality. We can see God and exactly what he's doing in it. And maybe the God might do that for us. I'm not going to say for one second that God can't give us that type of revelation and we shouldn't pray for it or ask others to pray for it. Maybe he could do that. But my experience is generally that's not how it works these days. These days it seems to be more about us training ourselves to see. What we see is a result of what we choose to look for, right? Because whatever you look for, that's the thing you're going to find. Two people can look at exactly the same thing and see two very, very different things, both real. If you go in there with a negative mindset and a, a critical mindset, a cynical mindset, looking for everything that's wrong about a thing, guess what? You're going to see it. It's all, it's all there to be seen. But if you go in there with a positive mindset, if you go in there with more an affirming thing, like, I want to see what's good about this, I want to, I want to enjoy this, then that's the stuff that you're going to see. So being able to see what else is there is, it's not a gift that some people have gotten, other people haven't. It's, it's actually an ability that any of us can have that comes from training ourselves and choosing to look for it. I'm married to an artistic person and she studied design and all of that sort of stuff. And we'll be watching TV or a movie or a series or something and she'll say to me, have you noticed seen the colour palette on this show? It's all, in, it's all in teals and navies and gold and brown tones. And I'll go, well, one, don't be cruel. You know I'm colourblind and it's not cool to tease people. Secondly, I'll say, I don't care. I'm having enough trouble keeping up with the plot. But, but she sees it. She looks at this stuff and she sees it. It's like when we go to people's places. Remember those days when we used to be able to go to other people's homes? It's like nostalgia, isn't it? You remember those days, back in the old days, when we used to go to other people's homes? She can walk into someone's house and she will pick up a thousand different design ideas. I'm lucky if I don't walk into the couch, right? The reason she can see this is because she's looking for it. She's looking for it because she's trained herself to be able to see these things. Elisha looked at the same thing that Gehazi looked at, exactly the same hill, same scene, the same hills, right? Except he saw a very different thing. Why? Because he was expecting to see God in it and he saw what he expected to see. 
He had been used to listening to God. He, as I said at the beginning, he had his ears and his eyes turned towards heaven. That's where he was focused most of the time. That's really all he was interested in seeing. Everything else was kind of immaterial. Yeah, it's there, but it's not the most important thing. And so when he went out there to look at exactly that same scene, he saw what he expected to see because he expected not just to see an Aramean army, he expected to see what God was doing in response to that Aramean army. The way to see God in a thing is to start with the assumption that God is in the thing and to look for that. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Now, let me just quickly go through this. There are three words in that that are really important. The first word is confidence, which is the Greek word hypostasis, which means to make something solid, right? That's the word faith, to make something solid. The second word is hope, which is the Greek word ellipso, which means to anticipate something either positively or negatively. The third word, assurance, is the word elegos, I can't really pronounce it, take it from me, elegos, which means the sense of a thing, right? The sense of a thing. So the thing that we anticipate, see, when you reverse this, this is, this is, this is how it works out. When we anti- the thing we anticipate, the thing that we have this sense of, like that's the, most real, that's the thing that's there, that is the thing that becomes the most real to us and the most solid. And that's what faith is. Faith is the thing that is most real to us, the thing we anticipate, the thing we sense. That is faith, right? That thing we expect. And that's why fear is just faith in the wrong thing. If you expect the wrong thing, then that's what your faith is in. Right? That's the most real, solid thing to you. If all you're anticipating is the Aramean army surrounding you, actually coming down those hills and getting you, then that's, that's all you're going to see. But if you anticipate and incense it, no, sense it no matter what else is going on, God is in this. God is behind all of this. And even though you don't know how or where or why or what, or how it's all going to work out, that God is in this and he's bigger than this and he's in control of this and, and, and what you're, he's in what you're facing, then God is going to be the most real thing to you, the most solid thing to you in all of that. You will see past the thing to see God in it. Gehazi eventually saw what Elisha saw, what had actually been there all along. And so will you if you expect to see it. So I have a question for you this morning. What are you looking at now? What are you facing right now? What was that thing that's causing unease or anxiety in you this morning? And what are you expecting to see? What are you anticipating? What is your sense? What is the sense of the thing telling you? Can I suggest that if it's not God doing something, then you stop listening to yourself this morning and you start talking to yourself and you remind yourself of the things I've just said. God bless you. We're going to go into a time of communion now and there is a slight connection with this with communion it might even kind of I hope enhances rather than undermines what I've just said but but it reminds me of that story in in Emmaus where those guys were with Jesus and they didn't know they were with Jesus until they sat down and they broke bread and then their eyes were opened can I just pray that like I say I don't think it's mutually exclusive I don't think it's all about our effort right I think God is in this as well, and we can ask God to to give us the grace for things. And so this morning, as we take communion, if you are in a position, like I said this morning, you're anxious, you're uneasy, there's stuff going on for you, and you can't see the wood for the trees, can can you pray this morning, in addition to the stuff that you're going to discipline yourself to do and, and, and not do, that you take communion and you pray, Lord, as I take this, open my eyes to help me see you in what I'm going through.
All right, God bless you and we'll see you later.